Pastor Scott mentioned God's faithfulness. Promise fulfilled. That's what we see in the scripture over and over and over again. As God made promises. What we see in the promises that God has made, we call them prophecy. The Bible is filled with prophecy. In fact, one quarter of the Bible is prophecy. There's no book like it. When people try to lump the Bible with other books, historical books or religious books, there are obviously people who have not done their homework when it comes to the Bible. It's completely different. The Bible tells us what's coming in the future and what has already happened, he gave us in advance. And Christmas is just one of those things. Of course, it's a main event, right? A main event, a big event. In fact, the Christmas story, the interesting thing about the Christmas story, as God promised things in the future, he tied with his first coming and his second coming so very closely that oftentimes um, for at least a season during his first coming that the religious leaders who had studied prophecy thought and confused his first coming with the second coming. And so they thought he was going to do all the things in his first coming that were in his second coming. And we see them tied together. Oftentimes the scripture that gives us his first coming um, will have such a connection. And we're going to take a look at one of those promises, promise given, promise kept in the scriptures uh, tonight. One that you're pretty familiar with. If, how many of you um, grew up or, or for a long period of time, you, um, you went to Christmas service? I mean, even before, like, like me, I, I went to Christmas service. Uh, in fact, it used to be a mid midnight service, Christmas midnight service growing up. And I acted like a Christian one night a, a year. So I could go to Christmas service and then live like God didn't exist the rest of my life. And that was kind of the way I lived my life. But the Christmas story every year, how many of you had a similar kind of experience to that? A few of you. A few of you. How many of you were just godly the whole time and you, you, you I, can, I can see the halos on some of your, yeah, Bob over here, I can see, I, I knew that was true. It's fading, Bob. The, the, point, the point being that, um, that the Christmas story is this one you know. I'm going to share a scripture that you're very familiar with, if you know the Christmas story, you probably heard it many, many times, read it, some of you many, many times studied it, but um, I believe that God has something maybe even fresh for you uh, on, on this today. We're, we're going to be in two portions of scriptures, one we're just kind of touching on in Matthew chapter 4, and then we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 9, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 14. It talks about um, the context with Jesus making a move. He went, to, he went from Nazareth to Capernaum. Capernaum was near the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. It so happens, listen, the Bible gives us so much information ahead of time, that the Bible says the Messiah would, in fact, show his light near 
Zebulun and Naphtali, in the, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. So as the writer, Matthew, is writing about Jesus, he says this, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, so he moves to Capernaum, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of, and shadow of death, light has dawned. Dawned, light came. Jesus came, light came. All of a sudden, that area, that region was hearing the truth because this is what the light does. It reveals, it, it shows us, it illuminates. And so they were illuminated with the truth that Jesus was bringing to them. Well, Matthew is simply quoting also from the book of Isaiah. Now, this book was hundreds of years written in advance about the Messiah. It's, Isaiah is one of the great um, books, uh, prophetic books um, in it. And of course, throughout the scripture, all the Old Testament, there's, there's always either alluding to or direct prophecy about the Messiah. And so we see Isaiah bringing to light this exact portion of scripture, saying, but as he's doing it, he's doing it in advance, saying the Messiah is coming. And he gives us a lot more information about the Messiah on this. The, the background of, the, of Isaiah's pronouncement is that the area of Naphtali and uh, of, of Zebulun and Naphtali, which were, by the way, sons of Jacob, uh, you know, uh, from the offspring of Jacob line, and they be, it became a, a land, an, an area. Um, upon those that said, so it says, nevertheless, the um, he starts out by saying this, nevertheless, the groom will not, not be upon her who is distressed. And when at first he, he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. That just sounds confusing. All I need, you need to know is that area was under tremendous attack. They had been in battle and warfare for a long period of time. And Isaiah's talking to them about what they've gone through. They're, they've been heavily uh, oppressed and uh, under great uh, distress and war and so forth. And then he, he pipes in in verse 2 and he goes, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Does that sound familiar? The people who, who, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death Upon them, a light has shined. So all of a sudden, Isaiah is jumping forward and looking to the Messiah as he's coming. And all the rabbis knew this and believed this. And, uh, and uh, this was the teaching of the rabbis for hundreds of years, uh, that this portion of scripture was looking forward to Messiah's coming. It says, and it says, and you, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy they rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Now, what he's telling them is, is this. A light is coming. The Messiah is coming. And when he comes, there's going to be such great joy. I, 
I walked the neighborhood, and there's several signs. I don't know if they're all getting them at the same store, but they're, they're, it's written out just in big, bold letters, joy, on the front yard. You know, it's a, it, that, you hear that, you see that in the Christmas story. Well, this Christmas story tells us when, when the Messiah comes, there's going to be great joy. And then it gives illustrations for them to kind of gather what it's like to have this kind of joy. And, and he says to them that this joy, this, it, just, this joy is going to be a, an increasing joy. And he goes, you know, remember when, when harvest comes? You know, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and finally the harvest comes. Well, in that in, you know, in that world, harvest was a big deal. And if you had a good harvest, you had a big smile on your face. You were rejoicing. You were happy. This, is that, this means food's on the table tomorrow. You know, this, this is a good thing. And so he, what he does is he just kind of draws from experience. The other thing he, he does is he says, he says about them, he says, it's like, well, you've been at war and you're worn out in battle and you've been fighting to survive and the war now is over not only is it over you won you won the war and not only did you win the war you end up getting what you didn't expect you didn't just win the battle and survive you're getting the spoils of war Okay, you're gathering all that's left because you won. You're gathering all that together. The battle's over. The war's over. You've got all this. How do you feel? Well, you feel like celebrating. You feel like rejoicing. And they probably did. They did. They, they would have danced and sung and rejoiced. And he says, that's the kind of joy that is coming. The Messiah's coming. You see, the, the, the Messiah, the, the one who is going to bring light in a dark, dark place, a dark world. How many of you would say how dark your world was before Jesus came in? I know for me, there was no hope. There was, you know, there was surviving this world, living this world and getting as many happy occasions as possible in this world and the end well my thinking mind is this if the end is nothing but you know food for worms if that's the end of my life I couldn't find that much joy in the presence of the things even there's always this nagging thing I don't know when it's over but when it's over, it's over. Something changed dramatically. The day I, by faith, trusted in Christ and the reality that life is beyond the grave and that life, there's hope and it isn't the end. And I don't have to live for the next happy moment. I can live in the joy of the presence of God every single day. And I tell you, I've lived that way. I, there isn't, it, there isn't that, it's not that I never have had sadness or, or you know, challenges. That's, that I, I certainly, absolutely, human beings have those things. But there's a, there's a deep-seated joy that never leaves. Even the mo most difficult and challenging and painful experiences I've had in my life, 
there's always been this deep-seated joy that's there, and it's there because I know, I know the Messiah. As we sung, he's, he's here. He's always been here. He's always with you. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's what I know of him. And that's where knowing who he is. And this is the joy that Isaiah is saying. And, and even though they, you know, they, they have come to this place of great sorrow in their life. Right now they're in great pain. There's great darkness. He tells them there's a joy coming. And he fulfilled that. He fulfilled the promise. He says, for you, talking about the Lord, you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, and as in the day of Midian. As in the day of Midian, that reminds them of the story of Gideon, who went off against a great army, insurmountable, with a trimmed down, you know, group of warriors himself to 300, takes 300 people and goes to battle and doesn't even have to fight, the enemy destroys himself. And he says, he says, he wants them to relate to that, that as they're looking forward, they're, let me tell you what's coming, folks. This is what happened. This was, is what happened at the first birth of Christ, at the first, at, at the, at the first Christmas. Then he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Those are two different things, by the way. You think, well, it's a child and it's a son. Aren't they the same? Well, they have two different meanings in the scripture. As a as a follower of Christ, immediately I have become a child of God. That, that has a lot of significance, right? In relationship and all, with a healthy father and a healthy son, right? A healthy child, that relationship can be amazing. That's what God has offered to us, and we are able to live in that. That wonderful kind of relationship of father and child. But there's another aspect to it, and this is why he says, unto us a, a child is born and a son is given. Because, listen, for us, as followers of Christ, we also are children of God. And if you're a follower of Christ, you are a son of God. Now, I can see some of the women just going, wait a minute. You know, this isn't a gender thing. A son was in the place of inheritance, the son got the inheritance. Sorry, ladies, but this isn't the way it worked back then. So in, des in, in describing what we are, we are, you are, in fact, called, if you're a child of God, no matter what your gender is, you are a child of God and you are a son of God by position. That means the in full inheritance. And not only that, you're a firstborn son. Because what you get is actually the inheritance of Jesus Christ because he's in you. You are, in fact, identified as a firstborn child. The firstborn got double the inheritance. I think that should still be the way it works, in my uh, uh, opinion. But I don't think my brothers will go for it. Um, <clears throat> but that, the point simply is this. That God, he says, a child is born, but it's not just a child. 
a son is given. This is the son of God. And he says, and the government will be on his shoulders. I kind of like the idea of Jesus being in charge of the government. I, I don't, don't, have, you, uh, have you noticed we have a lot of problems? And the government will be upon his shoulders. See, what it's doing now, it's jumping forward. Like I said, there's this conversion of his first coming and his second coming. When Christ returns, he's setting up his kingdom. The Bible calls it the millennium. There's a thousand-year reign of Christ. See, uh, we falsely, um, with lack of under, real understanding, people will go, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, that's good. You know, I mean, when I die, I'm going to heaven. Yes, you, you, there is a, a season you'll be there. You'll probably have full access to heaven after you die fully. But actually, actually, the promise is resurrected life on earth. A new heaven and a new earth. But a new heaven and new earth. If you think the future is going to be that much different, there's a, there's a lot of similarities to what we our future is and our present is. The future is different in the fact that there's no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no misery, no death. You kind of get those things out of the way. Then you get out of the way, no aging. Right? You're, you're, you're young again. I could do backflips. Of course, I never did those when I was young anyhow, so. But, you know, you know there's, there's, there's a whole lot to this. New bodies, resurrected bodies. So, I mean, it's, okay, it's quite a bit different. But the relationship is here. You know, we have, what we have, there, Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. What's he going to do when he sets up his kingdom? He's going to set up his kingdom in such a way that all mankind will look and he'll say, if you'd only done it my way, this is what you would have had. There'd be no COVID in the kingdom that Jesus ran. No. No, because if, if the world didn't have sin, the progression of the world, of human beings, what, what we're capable of is amazing. Remember, we're created in the image of God. But sin kills so much. We, get, we don't get very far because of sin. Sin demolishes our potential. Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom. And so he says, it says the government is going to be on his shoulders. He is going to rule and he is going to reign. And then it says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, there's two ways of interpreting that, and both of them are, can, be interpreted, can be interpreted this way. It could, be, it could be that it's two things. He's wonderful, and he's a counselor. Or it can be interpreted, he's a wonderful counselor. I think both are great. He is wonderful, and he is a counselor, and he is a wonderful counselor. It's interesting about this word. The word wonderful... Actually, it's translated nine out of ten times in the Old Testament when it's translated. It's translated with the idea of the miraculous. So the wonderful is this. The wonderful counselor. If you listen to the direction 
of the wonderful counselor, then miraculous things will come out of your obedience to him. Wonderful things will come towards you in your life as you follow the wonderful counselor. In fact, miraculous things. As you say yes to him and you live out your life going, well, today, what do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to, you know, this situation, how do you want me to respond? What do, what's the decision that I should make today? And you're listening for God. Even if you just put yourself in the position, then you're going to have miraculous things happen in your life. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've said yes to God in some situations that your flesh said no to, and you followed God anyhow, and it looked like it's going the wrong direction. It's never going to work out. You made the wrong decision. All of a sudden, something switches. And that thing that you thought was not going to work out works out because, well, you just said yes to God. There's so many things in our life that operate that way and if we just can learn to trust the wonderful counselor. And then he says, mighty God. And we see this in the scriptures. It's solidified in the Christmas story in John. You say, John, does John have a Christmas story? Actually, he does. His Christmas story is in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were created by him, and without him was not anything created that was created. In other words, this Jesus, this Messiah, he's way, be, he, he, that baby, that's not when he started. He was around when everything started. And he was around before everything started because that's the point he was with God in the beginning he was already there he didn't come into being in fact he wasn't created at all because everything that was created everything that's been created was created by him that's the mystery of the incarnation that's the mystery of God that Jesus was the almighty, the mighty God. It's also interesting that this word mighty, I'm giving you a little bit of Hebrew in this. This, this word mighty, there's different words for mighty. There's the one that's just kind of powerful. This word has another connotation to it. It has a connotation of warrior. The mighty warrior. You understand that what he's showing us is that, that this God, he comes to fight on our behalf. He's the mighty God. He's the warrior God that will fight for you. Because all hell is against you. All hell wants to destroy you, to kill you, to manipulate you, to trick you, to lie to you. But the warrior God, the Messiah... You see why he's saying to those people from Nephtali and Zebulun and to you and to me, there's something to be joyful about. 
there's something to be joyful about. God will rise up on your behalf. Do you understand that you can trust this God? Promises made, promises kept. And, and he, he has said to us that I am on your side. I am for you. When he paid the price, he died for your sins. You can count on the fact when he says you are saved, you're on your way. You're on your way to heaven and earth. Both. Everlasting Father. This is the unity of the, of the Godhead. There's two, there's two things that believers believe that we can't fully comprehend. Well, there's more than that. But there's two main things. One is the, the fact that God became a human being. That, that is the incarnation. We believe it because the scriptures have made that case completely throughout the scriptures. And you can trust the scriptures so you can trust what he says about Jesus. He was fully God and fully man. The, the other thing is the Trinity. The Bible says that there are three persons and one essence, one Godhead. There's only one God and three persons and one God. Say, Rick... Explain that to me. No. I can't. I can't. I can't explain it. It's true, but I can't explain it. I mean, people have all kinds of little things. It's like an egg. You know, it's got the shell. It's got the white. It's got the yolk, and I can't wait for breakfast. But, but it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make it. It, sh it falls short. It's like light, you know, it's got the three dimensions of light. Okay. That's good. <clears throat> I get that, but no. Three persons, one God. There's not three gods. There's only one God. One to be worshipped. Three persons. One essence. Jesus said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He had a will in his humanity different than the Father's. One essence. Okay. You can rack your brain on that and keep thinking about that. Try to figure that out for the next 200 years. And you'll <coughs> maybe God will show us. Maybe our brains will be big enough to understand that when we, when we see him. Maybe that will happen. <coughs> but he's the Prince of Peace. How much do we need him today? See, we oftentimes ask God, give me peace. God, I need peace. Give me peace. But peace isn't something that God necessarily gives. Only he gives it in himself. If you want peace, snuggle up next to Jesus. You can have peace. You snuggle up next to Jesus. That's where the peace comes. It is not pouring it out of a jar into our system. You snuggle up next to him and he embraces you and you have peace. 
because he's there. You see? Say, if you say, you know, I really need peace, then just enter into a time of expression and love to God. Love God in worship and praise and invite him into your 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 life afresh and invite him into your presence and enjoy him. You know, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So as you praise God, he is there in presence. Let his presence fill you. Let his peace overflow in your life. He gives a peace that passes understanding. That's, that's pretty good peace. Right? That, that's the, the kind of peace that you go... I don't know how he did that. I mean, all that I'm going through, all the challenges I'm facing, all the, all the concern and worry and, you know, fears that have come upon me, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. I don't know how he did that. How do you do that, Jesus? I just get close. I just come on over. His peace is in him. It says, on the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It doesn't end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, remember, the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of David, of course, promise given and kept. To, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And then it says this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. I, I can tell you he already has. He already has. Right? He's already been here. And millions, no, I take that back, billions of people have come to know him throughout history. They've come to enjoy him. Not, not, not a dogma or a system of beliefs. A relationship. A relationship. I hear, I hear people, I've heard, know of people who have said, you know, I used to be a Christian but I don't believe that way anymore. And I think that was the problem. You were just a Christian. I'm a friend of Jesus. I can't fall away from a, a, simply a belief system because it's more than that. It's a relationship. It's kind of like me going, I don't believe in my wife anymore. You don't believe? No. She doesn't exist. Why? Because, you know, I just couldn't figure things out. I wanted her to do some things for me, and she failed me. I, she, I, I asked her, and, you know, I wanted that banana cream pie, and... I didn't get it. 
So I don't believe in her anymore. No, you can't do that. I kind of know her. And when you know God, you know him. Have you had conversations with him? Have you felt his presence? Have you enjoyed his favor and his love? Have you had those things happen in your life? You don't fall away from that. You can fall away from a religion. You can't fall away from a relationship. Not like that. You can get mad at him. You can falsely interpret what he's doing and say, I'm just mad at you, God. I don't even like you. I wouldn't do that, but you can. <laughs> but if you know him, you probably know something else about him. He actually loves you. Kind of proved it. He did die for you. That's kind of a big deal. Anybody else die for you like that? Anybody else willing to make that kind of sacrifice? You might know somebody. There might be a situation in a warrior, war, you know, in a, in a military situation where somebody gives up their life. There are people who do that. But most people give up their life for people they like. They tend not to give up for people, their life for people who hate them or did are, are against some of their enemies and yet he did that that's, that's kind of that's quite a love what do you think do you think this celebration of Christmas is all about a baby in a manger some reindeer a sleigh and some presents. I think it's so much bigger than that. I really do. And I think it doesn't matter what your Christmas is like. I hope you have a fun one. I hope you have a happy one. I hope there's a lot of presents around your Christmas tree. But really does it matter when you have so much more in Jesus? That's just a little extra. What we really have is a Savior who loves us, who died for us, who's coming back for us, who can give you the kind of joy and peace nothing else in this world can. Is that enough? It's enough for me. Would you like to worship and close in prayer? praise and worship to him I, I kind of ready to do that so you don't want me to lead you in that <laughs> that could be painful so the worship team are going to come up they're going to joyfully lead us and they're going to explain we got, we got some we got some candles uh, t- hey, hey, hey turn those things off <laughs> you can't have your light on too soon it ruins a whole mood of things right you going to explain it, Paul? Uh, yeah. Okay. Paul's going to explain it. Lord, I pray that we never miss an, op- miss an opportunity, Lord, to snuggle up next to you and get your peace 
and your joy in our lives, I pray. Amen. They look like this, and this is the best we could do in 2020 uh, with a pandemic. And most of you shouldn't be holding real fire in your hands anyway, let's be honest. So here's what happens. You twist this thing to the right, and it turns on. And if you want to kind of pretend like you're lighting your neighbors maybe and have them turn on their candle, you can. But uh, why don't we just take a moment as we do that, and uh, we'll reflect on the birth of our Savior tonight together, okay? Jesus, we are so thankful tonight. We are so thankful for you. Jesus, we are so grateful for you, for your love, for your goodness. God, we are so in awe 
of what you've done for us. And so we bless you and we worship you and we honor you. We exalt the name of Jesus. Lord, above every name, you alone are worthy to receive praise. Thank you. Be blessed, be honored. God, in our homes and our families this Christmas, would you receive all the glory that you deserve? In Jesus' name. You agree with that, church? Amen. Amen. Well, we want to go ahead and dismiss you and bless you. Wish you a Merry Christmas. One important note, make sure you leave the candles here before you leave. We don't want you setting anything on fire, okay? God bless you guys. Have a Merry Christmas, okay?
Thank you, Jesus.